up, what up, what up? What's happening, people? My name is Sonny Ture. I'm Akita G. And this is the Fire This Time Podcast. Episode 51. We back in here. I keep going to welcome the people correctly. You know what I'm saying? Welcome back to the episode. You know, welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us for the episode. You know, as usual, we're here to give you your five for the week. And um, we're hoping you having a nice week. Um, you know, it's a little cloudy outside today, but it ain't raining yet. But it feel good, Aki. So, you know what I'm saying? We're going to uh, keep the show going and continuing, trying to be a little more consistent. But, you know, always remember, like and share, you know, on social media. You know where to find us at. Yeah, yeah. And um, so uh, for today's episode, we got a number of topics. Uh, it's going to be a great episode. Uh, the big topic that we're going to talk about at the end is we're going to go over uh this internal colonial thesis this you know what is the relationship between you know black people in the u.s and white society is it one of you know eventual citizenship or is it one of colonialism and how does colonialism look different for black americans if it does exist right so we're going to go over that debate we we've been saying on the podcast that you know we operate from an anti-colonial perspective so this uh segment yeah, this segment will uh, kind of dig into that a little bit more and also talk about the stakes of why it's important. And really everything pretty much that leads up to that which will also kind of underline some of those stakes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, put that in your back pocket. But uh, mm-hmm. we're also going to update you on some of the uh, recent news uh, developments and, you know, uh, police violence against black people, yeah. uh, uh, including updates in the Ahmaud Arbery case. Uh, some new uh, revelations from that. It's always some new coming out after the fact. And also, we're going to be talking about uh, Liana Hale, uh, a black woman that was shot, I believe, by police, I believe, in Missouri. Yeah, Kansas City. Uh, you know, just give a quick update on that. It's something that we'll definitely be keeping our eyes on. Uh, we're also going to be talking about black maternal death rates in, I believe, in Louisiana. So, yeah. interesting news bite came out from that. Uh, so, look forward to that. And uh, also going to update you on some anti-colonial organizing taking place uh, now in the Americas. But uh, to start things off, Aki, uh, this week's fire, we have a uh, lightweight boxing champion, now undisputed boxing champion, yeah. Devin Haney, to celebrate. Yeah. So uh, Devin Haney is our brother. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That young brother with the hands. Young brother with the hands, the technique. Yeah. And uh, over the weekend, he beat Australian boxer uh, George Cambosis. Talking a lot of shit, too. He was talking mad shit. Mad shit. And he's from, uh, by the way, Devin Haney's from San Francisco, California. Uh, Shout out to the Bay Area. But, yeah, he won all the belts, you know. And he, I believe he's the first person to do it since uh, Pernell Whitaker, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Sweet Pea. Yeah, I can probably see that. And uh, so, yeah, he captured all the major belts uh, for lightweight. That's I, I, I watched the fight. Great fight. He, I just seen the highlights, Aki. He dominated. You know, he had that jab. You know what that I'm saying? That jab is real. That jab hit you like a, a brick. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Just Shoot. repeatedly. That's the A. Hey, everything everything come off the jab. It, and it really, if you look, if you seen George Cambosa's face after the fight, <laughs> he was it, beat up. It really looked like somebody jabbing this nigga with a brick, like somebody just like wop 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 with a brick. That making me having flashbacks, man, to my short-lived boxing career. Oh yeah, yeah, we need some highlights. We need some highlights. Wasn't no highlights about that fight. 
The Jesus was giving. Jesus had the whole nose. How chocolate I am? Uh huh. Jesus had the whole nose red as this shirt I got on. Oh right man. Now, oh man. It was straight red. Yeah. Was it a was it just sparring or actual amateur fight? No, no, it was just a little sparring joint at the gym, Better Boys okay. Association. Okay. Like before you know it, I'm trying to pull the gloves off. I'm trying to. <laughs> oh man. It would probably been worse for me. Good thing, you know, they came in and calmed me down. I ain't have it together. Yeah, so shout out to Devin Haney. I don't know what's next for him. You know, Cam Bosis, you know, he beat Teofimo Lopez. Teofimo Lopez beat Lomachenko. Yeah. And uh, I think so. He might try to move up. You think Devin Haney might, might move up? I think he might defend. He probably defended, you know, yeah. a couple of times for a minute, but. Yeah. If he if he dominate too much longer in his weight class and he didn't whoop everybody else, that is. Mm hmm. Yeah. People are, are mentioning him and Javante Davis as potential next opponents. Mm hmm. You know, and Davis has been floating, I think, between, like, 135, 140. I think Davis has fought as low as 130 as well. I don't know what weight class, you know, Davis is, is seeking to settle on. But, he, I mean, Davis has the potential now to become mm. uh, an undisputed champion, a lightweight, if he takes on the Devin I mean, Haney fight and wins, you know. and Davis, uh, man, you know, Davis is looking real serious. That power Davis come with now, that's something different. Something different. Now, he got some boxing skill, too. Mm -hmm. uh, but do we got the type of boxing skill that Devin Haney got? We don't know that. We don't. We, yeah, you know, Devin Haney, I think Devin Haney has had a chance and a style to show off more boxing skill uh, to get to where he's going. I mean, if you're going to beat if you're gonna beat a Davis, you better use your skill. Oh, you're going to have to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You better use your skill. And be disciplined, don't you? You can't slip up. Mm -hmm. You seen my man slip up, and he caught a nice left hook. Made him, you know what I'm saying, do the do the wiggle chicken to the rope. Yeah. Shakur Stevenson. Uh let's see what what weight class does Shakur Stevenson fight at? I know he's down there. I thought he was uh, like a He's featherweight. He fights featherweight and super featherweight. So he's right he's right below Devin Haney. Mm -hmm. But uh so if he moves up, you know what I'm saying, maybe Devin Haney moves up, you know, and then Shakur Stevenson snatch, snatches up the belts, you know what I'm saying, at one thirty when he moves up. That could be that might be a nice little scenario unless you Haney stay there and then that may be the fight that you know after I get this fight I'll Yeah, I wanna see I wanna see Devin Haney beat Lomachenko. I wanna see him beat Teofimo Lopez. Lomachenko ain't no softy though. I know, but I I mean he he also got beat by uh, uh you know Cambosis. So, you said, yeah, Tiafimo. Yeah, he, you said Lomachenko ain't no softy? Yeah, he Lomachenko no got beat by Tiafimo, you know what I'm saying? So, so I don't know. It, it, it's a toss-up. Everybody got a lucky day. But, no, I mean, last point, Lomachenko, he gets, you know, he got a lot of privilege in this situation. Because now Lomachenko, I think his record is 16-2. and two. Yeah. He lost against Salido, I believe, earlier in his career. Yeah. But he still propped up as this, you know what I'm saying, like, the favorite or this white savior, you know what I'm saying? That's more what they want. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, let's keep it going, though, Aki. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Devin Haney, all the other great champions we got right now. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, next up, you know, we want to talk about uh, Black Alliance uh, for Peace's call for protest uh, against um, the U.S. planned Summit of Americas. Mm. So let me pull open. They, they put out a statement uh, about it. So I think it would be best to just to read from that. But the Summit of America is, is a planned event. I believe hosted by the United States that's seeking to bring together countries within the Americas uh, for talks about, you know, uh, cooperation on economic, social, political, uh, 
type of issues, in, including things like migration and trade and, and things like that. So uh, there's been some drama because the U.S. Uh, was refusing to uh, allow Nicaragua, Cuba, and Venezuela from participating, ah. which caused other countries in the Americas to protest. Mm. And, you know, Black Alliance for Peace has been seeking to support those protests and help further them you know what I'm saying, as a protest against U.S. imperialism yeah. and U.S., uh, you know, uh, aggression against, you know, these countries that are fighting for more autonomy. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's what Nicaragua, Cuba, and Venezuela are guilty of. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're nations that are guilty of opposing U.S. hegemony. I, just, I mean, I always say, they ain't even opposing. They just ain't with it. They ain't with it. They don't want you controlling me. Exactly right. You know. So so here is the Black Alliance for Peace statement put out May 12th on this issue. The arbitrary decision by the government of the United States to exclude Nicaragua, Cuba, and Venezuela from participation in the regional summit of the Americas scheduled to take place in L.A. June 6th to June 10th represents another, that actually just starts today, Aki. Uh, it represents another example of imperial hubris and delusion. Mexico's president, Andres Manuel Lopez uh, Obrador, recently announced that he would boycott the summit unless all countries in the region are invited. Some member states of CARICOM and the Organization of Eastern Caribbean States, uh, including Antigua and Barbuda, uh, Barbuda and St. Vincent and Gr- uh, Grenadines, are also considering not attending the summit. Gaston Brown, prime minister of Antigua and Barbuda, Barbuda stated that his country does not believe in the policy of ostracizing Cuba and Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Black Alliance for Peace, however, believes that even if the U.S. reverses its decision and invites all countries of the region, the aggressive, illegal, and oppressive policies of the United States toward the region demands that these governments take a stand and reject the invitation to attend the summit. The Summit of the Americas taking place every three years promotes economic growth and prosperity throughout the Americas based on shared economic values. However, this rhetorical hypocrisy is evident with the Biden-Harris administration's subversion in Haiti and sections and attacks on Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Cuba. From support for autocracy in Haiti, the embargo against Cuba, and the deaths in Venezuela as a result of U.S. sanctions, the U.S. continues to prove that it has no regard or respect for the peoples and nations of our region and should not be given the honor of hosting this summit, states Jamina Pierre, co-coordinator of Black Alliance for Peace's uh, Haiti and America's team. Black Alliance for Peace understands the motivation and interest to expand U.S. hegemony across the U.S., across what the U.S. sees as its backyard are tied to a reassertion of the racist Monroe Doctrine. Democracy and human rights are no more than ideological props as the U.S. utilizes forces like OAS, Core Group, and Southcom to ensure the interests of its capitalist oligarchy. Our call is, quote, U.S. out of the Americas, and our goal is to work towards the establishment of the region as a zone of peace. As long as the U.S. operates as a hegemon instead of a partner in our region, the peoples and nations of Latin America and the Caribbean must consider the U.S. an enemy to national sovereignty and people-centered human rights. It is therefore an absurdity and a surrender of dignity 
to allow the U.S. to not only host this summit, but to determine who can attend, uh, said Erica Kane's co-coordinator of the Haiti America's team. BAP is committed to a democratic and independent Americas free from militarism and subversion. Towards that, we believe that rejecting the divisive and disrespectful policies of the U.S. is a moral and political imperative. Hmm. Well, you know what I'm saying? They have spoken. And um, this isn't uh, untypical. It's funny. You look at Nicaragua, you look at Cuba, and then you look at Venezuela. The United States have all had secret ghost operations, CIA-backed operations and all of those places um have been involved in the toppling and overthrowing of legitimate governments or trying to overthrow legitimate governments in that area and or isolating those governments and countries from trade um and things of that such nature and the forms of embargoes on Cuba and things of that. So it's not a it ain't it's not un uh, fascinating to me knowing U.S. imperialism and how they get down, um, how they would move across the U the 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 Americas. Period. You know, I think a lot of people when they hear about uh, U.S. colonial or, or the U.S. imperialism, they think about across seas. They forget the stuff that they got going on right here in the Americas. But you know, you got to give a shout out to those countries that's willing to stand up for. Um, they their federal their their fellow American, um, not U.S. but fellow American, and or individual states, you know they're sovereign. They want to maintain their independence, and they just ain't trying to play into the United States game. Now we don't need your aid. We'll do what we need to do. You know what I'm saying? If you ain't gonna come with sincerity and 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 and, and honesty, then stay where you at. You know. And it sort of would be hypocritical for them to be able to determine who can be there after all the shit they didn't put out here. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, give us some time and see what happens. Yeah, we're definitely going to pay attention to the news, you know what I'm saying, as far as the, the summit did start today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see who attended. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can uh, summit. You can get some footage on them. Yeah, Summit of the Americas 2022. Uh, so Mexican president won't attend U.S.-based Summit of the Americas due to exclusion of Cuba. That's three hours ago from CNN. Ah. So we see uh, some people refusing to uh, take part. So the U.S. Uh, did bar Cuba and Venezuela from the America Summit, and Mexican leader is sitting out. That's breaking news from today. Uh... Yeah, so I mean, you know, some people are already calling it a flop of a, a America summit. I mean, if, if Mexico isn't there, and Mexico is a major country on this, you know, in, in these, you know, on this side of the world in the Americas, uh, it is a flop. I mean, if U.S. is hosting it, you know, it's destined to be that. But. They used to have a long time ago, like Pan American conferences and congresses. Here in the United, not the United States, but just in the Americas, they would have them in different places around the Americas. But they used to have those, so it reminds me of something like that. Maybe they're trying to maybe revive that or something of that such nature. But uh, it's just shit for us to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? 
uh, a lot of times we be concerned about stuff that's going on across seas instead of being mindful of stuff that's going right going on right across the bay. Yeah, and it's important. It's very important that you know we do pay attention to that. You know, because all of those places, at least I know two of them have uh, sizable African populations there. Mm-hmm. You know, who got there same goddamn way we got here. <laughs> all of them do. All, I mean, Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. Yeah, like, is Belize right there, but Nicaragua? I think but, it's right above. Uh, my South American geography is all off. I know that Belize is, is bordering Mexico, but so if Nicaragua is very close to Mexico. No, then, I think Nicaragua is more towards South America, like right there. The I mean, but that's right there at the border of South America, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, Either way. Yeah. Yes, all of those places have sizable African populations. So, um, you know, we definitely want to keep a mindful eye, especially on our, our people that's here in the West, you know, that the, the diaspora, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? It's one thing we all got in common over here. <laughs> yes, sir. So let's keep it moving, Aki. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about uh, some of the discourse uh, coming from our, not our government, but the U.S. government. This colonial government and it, 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 the idea that we're a colonized people, you know, of course, we're going to get to this in the last segment for today, but it should be very clear in this next example and how these white politicians are discussing black maternal death rates. Mm. So what's put forward by I believe it's a Louisiana uh, politician, they say uh, that black women's maternal death rates should not be counted with the rest of the states. Because I guess racism. So let, let's, <laughs> you know, because it make it's making the state's numbers look bad. You know what I'm saying? Pretty much. But let, let's dig into exactly, you know, uh, what is being said here. So this is from uh, the African Diaspora News Channel. So shout out, was it, is it Philip Scott? Yeah, I think Philip Scott. Uh, that runs it and, and is doing this segment. So let's check out some of the segment right here and uh, we'll comment. And this is. Part of the reason why the maternal death rates for black women is so high. Now, he out of Louisiana, and he says that the Louisiana numbers are only bad because black mothers are included. Now, they say that Louisiana ranks second to last among states accessed, they say, for maternal mortality. Now, Cassidy, who represents the state, argued it's because of his large black population. They say while black people make up 12.4% of the nation's population, they represent 31.4% of Louisiana's population is black, according to the census data. Now, Cassie said that the state's rates would not be as bad if black women were not counted. He said about a third of our population is African-American. African-Americans have a higher incidence of maternal mortality. That's what he told Politico. So if you correct our population for race, we're not as much as an outlier as it otherwise appears. So basically, Black women don't matter. Let's not do an investigation to find out why the mortality rate is so bad in Louisiana. No, we should just go ahead and just don't count black women. So, you know, I've heard this statement. They said that the hospitals and the doctors are what the police is to black men. How is it that black mothers in the U.S., they say, are three times more likely to die during pregnancy or shortly after birth than white mothers. I say this, and I'm going to say this again. 
in the you know areas of activity that Neely Fuller had put out there for us. He mentioned medicine. This is a white supremacist. Yes, he is a white supremacist for talking lightweight. This white supremacist U.S. Senator is a doctor. He's not the only one that got these thoughts against black people. This is why it's imperative that we need more black nurses and we need more black doctors in America. We don't need no more rappers. We got enough. We don't need no more football players and basketball players. Listen, I like those sports, All right, but we see, got enough. We don't let me see if I can skip ahead and find Bill Cassidy's comments themselves. I'm not sure if they're going to be included here. Disparities that impacted maternal mortality. The issue as where it So no, it's not mentioned there. Uh, or it's not included in this segment. And I apologize for not having that ready. But uh, yeah, keep going and respond. I mean, uh, I mean, you heard it from Philip Scott, uh, what Senator Bill Cassidy is, is saying. I, don't, I mean, where's, where does the notion even, like, that shows you that we're not full citizens. They don't view us as full citizens, right? Because we not accept the fullest. Where did, I mean, where does the even notion that, you know, let's look at the numbers without black people. You know what I'm saying? That The notion to even pursue that line of thinking shows that we're not accepted as full citizens and we never were intended to be. There's always a separation there, you know. Um, a colonial subject can never be looked upon as a whole human being. And so... When they speak of us in these terms, that's how they speak of us. You know, they speak of us in a way to, as you said, you are not a full human being, thus you are not a citizen. Second class, 14th Amendment citizenship. And if we accept the notion that there is a genocide being performed against us, then a black woman birthing a black child, I mean, you can imagine how that is seen and received by white society, white colonial society. You got to think, though. See, you got to remember, they looked at us like chattel. So there's something inside of when you're dealing with animals and farms and uh, um, um, large um, groupings of animals, herd control. Sometimes you may have more animals grazing the land than you got land. And so having that, they'll overgraze the land. So you have to practice herd control. So if it's say for instance, sheep, you either sell those sheep or you slaughter those sheep off, you know, sell the, the, the product that comes from the sheep and use that for profit. So, and that's your property. The sheep is your property, the land is your property. So now you got these black people here. You looked at as chattel. You have to print, you have to maintain herd control, and they still main try to maintain herd control. And that's their way of doing it. They don't see us as humans, they don't see us as citizens. So they feel they can do this shit. At the stage of underdevelopment that black America is in, at the stage that capitalism has entered into since the times of slavery or sharecropping after that. Mm -hmm. We're at a stage now where, you know, black children are not uh, you know, the type of property that generated income for the white elites. Mm -hmm. You know, now it's, it's on some raw shit, it's, they're seen as liabilities. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Against which, you know, white America is suffering. I mean, we see this white replacement theory enacted by people on Fox News like Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Also, uh, 
the scumbag that did what he did in uh, Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, against our community. Uh, I mean, they're definitely affected by this white replacement theory. That's basically reading, you know, there's too many black people, not enough whites. Yeah. So, I mean, under that type of racist theory, you can imagine what a black woman giving birth to a black child, what type of threat that represents, you know what I'm saying, on a philosophical level that affects all areas of society. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you see it institutionally within the healthcare system, how black mothers are treated, and that's what we're talking about now. You also see it in popular culture, yeah. how, you know, um, how black uh, men and black women, that relationship is being depicted and how groups are being influenced against each other. You know, uh, you can see, I mean, the welfare system, you know, dictating that black men couldn't be part of the home if certain welfare benefits are given out. Yeah. Uh, you know, so... I mean, a lot of that is like... Um, see, because this system is the way it is, it's a racist system, Um. and it... Um, Racism is a, a a male aggressive type thing, you know what I'm saying? It's normally geared towards males. They do see us as a danger, and, and so, but they see our women as a danger too, mm-hmm. because see, our women are black baby producers. Mm-hmm. They black factories that make black babies. No matter what you put in the womb, it's gonna come out looking like one of us. Same issue that comes with us, you know. And so, you know, anytime more of something, like I said, I don't know if it's a, you know, I, you know, we went over that last show. I don't know if it's necessarily some genetic thing, but it's something. And the damn show seems like they have a genetic problem with us, mm-hmm. you know, um, make you believe some of the conspiracies or truths. We don't know. But yeah. I think it's a, it's a whole matrix of things, ideas and beliefs. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But but the the outcome is is that they've been at a constant state of trying to, I call it slow genocide. Mm-hmm. They've been committing slow genocide numbers, slowly but surely. Think about it. We didn't have 20 million going to the abortion table. Where would that put our numbers in population? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're exactly right, Aki. I mean, even in the areas of like academic theory, we see uh, a resistance to. You know, black families. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You see these, you know, you see the existence or the uh, prolonged existence, you know, within white academic theory Mm. of this um, anti-black, you know, uh, both misandric aggression and misogynistic type of uh, depiction of black women as well. Uh, Because they seen them both as property. Yeah. And I I think you're exactly right. You know, we talked about before that the you know the the way that those threats are perceived and sought to be dealt with is done in gendered ways mm-hmm. you know because there's you know black women present a, di- a, a a very related but different threat than black men pose yeah. to white America black men present a very interrelated but still unique threat you know what I'm saying to white America I mean, and I- we have to see through that differential treatment you know yeah. uh I'm talking about black men and black women, all black people, yeah. you know what I'm saying, including black trans people. We had to see, you know, past, you know, the differential treatment that we receive from white society and, and seek unity based on, you know, uh, you know, African culture, mm. you know, a fit for this time. So go ahead, Aki. I mean, you know, black, you know, black males and black women were feared, like you said, for different reasons. 
You know what I'm saying? Um, one brother told me something one time, an elder. He said something wise to me. He said that black men are feared whether they're married or single. Or by themselves, I should say. Black women are feared when they marry. Right, right. Because when you have a black woman, not married, but with a man, with her man, her and her counterpart, which is the black man, that is fearful because you can't control her womb. You won't have power over that. Not in this society. You know what I'm saying? And so a lot of our sisters, you know what I'm saying, um, the way the system affects them and does what it does to them, you know what I'm saying, it makes those situations, no more mystery why Planned Parenthood is all in our communities and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to figure out, though, what the the the, the, the niche that the Republicans going to get out of this. Because we already dominate as hell in Mississippi in numbers. I mean, we really are. Even though we may seem like we're 30, it's a rural place, and we're all concentrated. And we're concentrated in a lot of the main centers, you know. So, I mean, it's something that, uh, you know what I'm saying, we need to keep an eye on. You know what I'm saying? Because when it affects the sister, it affects us. She gives birth to black males and black women. You know what I'm saying? She gives birth in the image of God. So, I mean, there's studies out there that show the type of discrimination that black women and black couples receive around birthing and childcare. Oh, man. And you think that the anxiety that arrives from that level of oppression, we don't, we can't fathom really how deeply it affects us, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, and is fueling our divide, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, the yeah. fact that the union of black men and women is so heavily uh, resisted by white society, is so heavily propagandized, is so heavily, you know, uh, theorized from this colonial point of anti-black point of view and white academia, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we we have not yet fathomed you know, uh, especially in this new digital age, the effect, the negative effect that it has had on our uh, unity, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, definitely conversations that, you know, we're going to stay on. But uh, on this topic of black maternal death rates, yeah, this this is a, a symptom of our colonial, uh, of our, of us being colonized. Yeah. Because surely, um, you know, people that saw us as equals, you know, or <laughs> wouldn't, you know, think even have a notion of separating out black people to see better numbers. Yeah. You know, as centers as this. It means simple, you don't count. I mean, it, it really show you, bro. It really show you. I mean and and uh the brother on the African African Diaspora News uh, network, uh, he was correct when he said we need more black nurses and more black doctors. Mm-hmm. But take it a step further from a new African nationalist point of view, we need more black hospitals. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Of course, in addition to doulas and and and, uh, and other midwives, you know, exactly all types of stuff. midwives. Yeah, and it, we we need more black institutions around that. You know what I'm saying? And you know what? I think I, I think that would actually be you know what they like what they call birthing mothers in some culture. Mm-hmm. That would actually be a, a actually decent way. Excuse me, of doing something because um, it's, it'd be the same as like having a a, a doctor. Mm-hmm. They know how to deliver babies, and not and you're exactly right, Aki. And that net that type of network has always existed, and we still got it, and yeah. still and it still exists. I think Erica Badu is a doula. 
Mm. I, I don't doubt it. <laughs> I don't doubt it. <laughs> I think she is. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, definitely something to you know keep our eye on and keep you know uh, our awareness raised raised about it. Yeah, this should fuel. Uh, not only are pushed to you know protest against current conditions and get those changed, mm-hmm. but we got to start building towards you know with an anti-colonial perspective in mind that we're colonized people not meant for integration. You know this this society relies on our colonization and you know not just from a material point of view but from a cultural point of view. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They rely on our uh, depleted status, our underdeveloped status. Uh, you know to keep this ball rolling. Yeah. And that's not going to change as long as this system remains. So uh, it can't just be let's change the system, let's reform the system. Mm-hmm. It has to be let's build outside of this system. There you go. Change yourselves. You know, change ourselves both individually and collectively. There you go. You know, away from reliance. We're relying on. We cannot rely on our colonizers to change. Yeah. Because uh, you know we're going to be in the situation we've been in. You change know. yourself so you can change your condition relation to him and move on an offensive way instead of a defensive way mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so uh let's cover one more topic before we take a short break out key let's update people on this ahmaud aubrey case yeah. so, so uh of course the murderers of ahmaud aubrey were tried and found guilty and we've covered that already yeah but more is coming out about the level of corruption and this is some real clan shit some high-level clan activity, I yeah, think. all the way. That's how the clan roll. This, y'all some get this from this story finna get y'all a good southern uh, dose of how deep them roots go. Yeah, that's how they function down there. Still, so uh, district attorney uh, Jackie Johnson, w- who was involved with this case, had 16 phone calls with one of the people tried and found guilty, the father of the person that pulled the dr- trigger named Greg McMichael, right? So before the case was presented in front of a jury, even a grand jury, I'll say it again, the district attorney, who is the prosecutor, those that are taking the trial against, you know... She in the courtroom. She in the courtroom. Not, And we're not talking about a, the defense of yeah. the killers. We're talking about the, the office that is supposed to prosecute yeah. the killers. She up there talking shit. She t- had 16 phone calls with the shooter's dad, Greg McMichael, who was and Greg McMichael. This, this you're already mind fucked, I'm sure, to some degree. Just, yeah. just realizing where we're at, it gets deeper, y'all. Greg McMichael, who was on the scene, witness, participated in this murder. Yeah, is a retired investigator for District Attorney Jackie Johnson's office. Damn. So the man that initiated the chase. You know, hmm. on racist grounds of Ahmaud Arbery. Ain't that so? Was an investigator for the district attorney's office, formerly. So how many how many times he fuck over black people in that role, Aki? Jackie, I need your help. So, Jack, <laughs> so Jackie Johnson goes on to, at some point during this, she recuses herself because of her connection, right, to Greg McMichael. But... Look how snakes move, you know what I'm saying? You can't never trust nothing at its face. So she recuses herself. It's like, oh, okay, that's good, right? No, she re- she recruited, uh, I think maybe from a neighboring district attorney and maybe one from the same office. She recruited George Barnhill, uh, a prosecutor, right, to take on the case. And before the attorney general of the state uh, was able to approve 
uh, or, you know, sign off on George Barnhill being this, you know, appointed outside prosecutor with mm-hmm. presumably no connection to the case, right? George Barnhill had been presented the information, interviewed officers, and had already concluded that no charges should be filed. Ah. So then so in the mid so after he uh, George Barnhill already looks at the case say no charges should be filed, right? Uh Jackie Johnson, that bitch Calls up to the attorney attorney general's office and suggests that no at no informs the attorney general that uh you know that I've recused myself and George Barnhill has already accepted the case yeah without informing them hmm. that he had already seen the case right yeah so uh of course the conflict of interest there should be apparent so again as a summary Johnson recused herself recruited Barnhill called for an outside appointed prosecutor, then called the attorney general office to state that Barnhill accepted the case without informing them that Barnhill had already said no charges should be filed. Mm. Johnson failed to disclose that Barnhill already reviewed the case and came to that conclusion. And the attorney general wasn't suspicious of Jackie Johnson's actions because this isn't the first time that uh, the Georgia attorney general helped to bury a case like this. Uh. But uh, I believe also that it should be said that Barnhill's son, or yeah, this is the last point. So the district attorney that got put on the case, right? Barnhill's son, Barnhill Jr., worked in the same office as Jackie Johnson at one point and also worked with George McMichael. Oh, that's clean. The the son of the killer. That's all. That's good old boy. That's good old boy clanism right there, boy. They just they said they got the whole town on lock. They all up in the goddamn infrastructure. So so the attorney general approves George Barnhill being placed as the prosecutor on the case, even though his son at one point investigated cases for Jackie Johnson's district attorney office with the killer. They're like, call Jackie. Jackie like, call George. George like, call. <laughs> Everybody, they just making connects. But I need you to come on up in here and pass this case and get this shit off board, cause we got these niggas dead over here, and we need to quiet this before the, before before the uh district. I mean before the uh, before the big boys come in here and take this over. It's I, I mean it, it, it's sad, but shiesty. You know she definitely shiesty, but it's just that people wonder how you know tons of people got lynched and was missing in the South. It's because. They was in the infrastructure. They was in the hospitals. And this is also part of what separates us from other immigrant populations in this country, right? Mm-hmm. They'll go through a generation of not owning their shit, not having political power, a generation or two. Black people exist in a permanent state within this country mm-hmm. of not being allowed to own uh, the shit in our community or being at least opposed, heavily opposed to it. And especially when it comes to political power, and have yeah. an authority about how the institutions set up against us run our lives. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we ain't got the political party. I mean, power to oppose that under the current, you know, current state of things. Now, you know, there are, are some, you know, black capitalists that you know we got to work with them to get them to recognize that we need our own. You know, what I'm saying like we we got to make black nationalists out of everybody. You know, what mm-hmm. I'm saying we can work on the socialist piece yeah. as time goes on, but. We definitely got to work and make these people, make everybody black nationalists, you know, because yeah. it's not just that we need our own businesses. No, nigga, we need our own 
uh, hospitals. We need our own schools. You know what I'm saying? That are not not like what LeBron James is doing. Like, you know, yeah, LeBron James has his own school, but it's a partnership with the local school department. It's like yeah. a, uh, yeah. it's a, it's a fucking partnership. Still that, oversaw by the school district. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And a school district that will never allow for us to educate our children towards liberation, true history. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just look at the curriculums. So, uh, you know, it's a half. My point is, it's a half measure. I'm not saying that you know LeBron James is providing no benefit to the children he's affecting. Yeah. But uh, we have to go a step further for freedom. You know, for freedom, we got to go a step further. For collective survival, we got to mm-hmm. go a step further. Aki. I mean, instead of relying, and you know, what I'm saying you can't rely on. It's like this. My thing has always been such. You can't complain about what you're not getting. But it's and expected from someone that's never given it to you. And then not feel that you need to be doing it yourself. You know what I'm saying? You need that you need to be um making the strides to be independent from this system so you don't have to rely on it you know so hopefully the folks come to that conclusion we try to get y'all to fire so y'all can keep on going in that thread and keep it going mm-hmm. but uh we're gonna jump into the next subject here mm-hmm. which is um you know what you know what we're gonna touch on a situation uh you want to get into the lahina La- 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 hall yeah go ahead uh we had a little situation popped off may 30th you know um there was a uh supposedly uh carjacking you know, I don't know if they were doing the carjacking or they were just suspects in the carjacking. But uh, there was a situation where the police got on the car with two suspects in the car. Those two suspects, I guess, semi-crashed the car and they began to flee the car. Um, police officer fired shots. One of those that fled the car was a young lady. And uh, she was hit. And from what it said, the young lady was pregnant. I don't know if it was confirmed yet. Wasn't confirmed yet? No, it was not confirmed. Okay, then. So, um, yeah, she was popped in, uh, by the pigs, you know, and so it, it presents some controversy. I mean, we looked at some of the footage, and we got a shot that the police released from a, a personal cam on an officer, and, and it do look like she had a pistol in her hand, you know. Um, it was sort of blurry, but it, in the way I could, see, I could see the thumb and all of that, and all that looked like she had a pistol in her hand, so... Uh, you know, of course, that sort of, in their mind, gave them the right to bust shots at this young lady. But um, the young lady is not passed. She is alive. Um, that's And I'm, I'm thinking that if eventually um, we may hear something about if she was pregnant and, and if she was, hopefully, that, you know, that... Um, that situation and that child makes it here. That'd be another black child we got on this planet Earth. We definitely need that. So, um, you know, just keep your eyes informed and keep your ears open and, you know, you got anything? No, I ain't really got nothing, Aki. Uh, you know, I, I think some of the discourse around what happened to Liana Hill, you know, you've you seen some people, you know, take that, the route of saying, uh, you know, I guess treating it like one of those, I won't say traditional, but one of those cases of police murder mm-hmm. or, or, you know, assault with a weapon. Yeah. That rises up like a national movement. Yeah. Or like awakens that type of organizing pressure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
you know, a lot of people question that. I seen some some people question why aren't more people speaking about it? Why isn't it a bigger deal? Maybe some alleging that it's because she's a black woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, you even I, I've even seen you know some commentators that are conservative kind of poke fun at the infantile type of reasoning from Black Lives Matter protesters that mm-hmm. you know say even in the case where you know supposedly or allegedly you know somebody is armed and aiming a weapon in the general direction of police you know that uh it's still unjustified yeah you know uh so you know there's a certain i won't say there's a formula but maybe there is somewhat of a social like formula yeah that goes into you know what type of tragedies you know awaken movement you know what i'm saying yeah uh you know uh are utilized in a movement context. Yeah. And certainly, you know, the at this point, right, the so-called offender being armed, the black person that yeah. are being that was shot being armed themselves is, is certainly a case that we can say does not lead or 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 takes away that case's ability to really function as a spark yeah. within a movement catapult for something yeah you know but i hope you know sam more um you know i hope things go you know for the best in that situation and um you know maybe some more details will be coming out later we'll try to keep y'all informed folks right right uh definitely will so uh we're gonna take a break before the next topic where we're digging into some uh you know some of the literature, some of the arguments around the colonial thesis, the internal internal colonial thesis for Black America. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, peace. peace. We want freedom. By any means necessary. We- yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are back. Yes, we is. With part two of episode 51, where we're going to delve into this internal colonial thesis yes. of what black people in the in the United States are going through. Oh, yeah. And this can apply to not just the, you know, uh, us, but it it is very instructive to our position. Um, and our it, uniqueness. Our uniqueness. Thank you, Aki. So what is what, what's at stake here? You know, uh, you know why is this important, Aki? You know why can't we just be uh, oppressed minorities? That you know, uh, and my answer to that would be, you know, uh, without having a more scientific analysis of what's going on, you are more likely to fall into like representational politics or you know this idea of our eventual integration into the United States. Yeah. And that's, you know, of course, the type of stuff that Malcolm X was critiquing. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. we're never going to be citizens. You know, we're not citizens of the United States. Yeah. We can't uh, try to be. And that's why he was trying to bring us into this anti-colonial resistance, like global resistance, you know, that that you see in countries all over the world resisting U.S. imperialism. We find ourselves in in a unique position here as black Americans in the belly of the beast, and as we'll talk about, an oppressed nation within a nation. Yeah. So uh, with those things in mind, Aki, my, the, the big point here is if you don't see us as an internal colony, 
then the social, economic, and cultural oppression that black people experience is distorted. Yeah. Right? And I wrote down a few ways that, you know, lacking this anti-colonial perspective can distort our oppression, right? Mm. It can leave you <laughs> uh, defenseless, I'll say, to token or representational politics, right? Because yeah. if we're not a colony, because if you're a colony, there is no successful uh, uh, integration possible for you into the dominant society, right? Some of you might be token, uh, tokenized, uh, get tokenized positions, mm-hmm. some from your collective, but your national culture can't survive that. Yeah, You can't survive as a separate national entity if mm-hmm. you're a colonized people. Yeah. Uh, and, and and you want to seek integration, you know, uh, you're not going to survive. That's and, and th- that's the genocide that we're experiencing. You're not going to be sovereign, right? And independent. But uh, so if, if you like the anti-colonial analysis, you fall victim more. Uh, you're more likely to fall victim to the idea that you know if we just get so many seats in office, yeah. if, if we can just get so many people from these uh, oppressed identities, you know what I'm saying? If we can just get black queer women into political office hey if we can just get the bag yeah you know what i'm saying people feel that they, that you they'll be able to overcome this and bring this shit all 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 all, all the full circle right. don't work that way right you also have a distort like uh, if you like this anti-colonial analysis you're more likely to fall victim to uh distortions around black gender relations and, and yeah. gender and black and, and black people you know mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, if you don't see us as a colonized people, then you're you're not likely to really perceive uh, the resistance of co- like anti-colonial resistance. Mm-hmm. If you're not, if you don't believe we're colonized, then how are you going to recognize what is anti-colonial resistance and what isn't? Yeah, right. So, uh, so if you lack an anti-colonial uh, lens, you're more likely to believe that black men are just mimicking the power that they see in white men. And black men want to attain uh, a position next to white men in uh, controlling or leading this raceless patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the anti-colonial lens that provides a more scientific analysis of colonialism. I mean, you know what I'm saying, and of and really of patriarchy, yeah. right? What is the relationship between patriarchy and colonialism? An anti-colonial thesis gives you an, a different answer than the mainstream. Uh, intersectionality that we see, Aki. I mean, when they don't have an uh, anti-colonial stance, it distorts their views of even what culture and African culture and black culture is. Mm. It's actually, it's distorted because they make it something else that it is not. Or they'll transform it into something that it is not to work for their best interest. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're thinking an anti-colonial stance, you're still and always are going to be thinking about war. Mm-hmm. Just what it is. Whether it's a silent one, a physical one, an intellectual, you're going to be thinking about war. And the concept of war is to conquer. So when you understand the anti-colonial standpoint, you understand this is a war. You understand that you've been colonized. You should understand why you've been colonized. It answers all the damn questions. You know, you can't be some second-class citizen or or, or or some first-class citizen just denied your rights and expect and explain how you're treated. 
But if I'm that, why I still get shot down in the street? If I'm that, why we still living like this? If I'm that, we've been here since day one and this bitch being built. Why do we live like this? This is why you got these groups that's popping up now with some of the rhetoric they have. Because they're questioning things, but they lack the anti-colonial standpoint to fully understand what it would, what it is. So, you know, now you'll demand reparations, but don't see that you're a nation. And understand that your nationhood is more. You know what I'm saying? It it it, it just starts everything. You can go ahead with it, Aki. No, you you're hitting some really good points, Aki. You're definitely hitting some good points. And I mean, you become a real danger to white America when you start pushing for you know this ideas of black autonomy. You know what I'm saying? Or when, once you really connect socialism with black national liberation, yeah. You know, you make a great enemy of this country. Go ahead, Aki. I say this too. It also distorts identity. Because mm-hmm. as a people, we've been going through, we've had many stages of identity crisis. So, you know, it distorts your view of being able to see that you're an African. Mm-hmm. Now you everything else under the book. Yeah. You're more, you're Hebrew, you indigenous, you ADOS, you all this other stuff. It, it distorts what you're being, it distorts how you view yourself. You're right, Aki. And we got to build on this because there's a connection. I know Amakar Cabral and others speak about this for known. There's a connection between uh, national culture and national liberation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the culture of a people, mm-hmm. it, 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 it matters a lot, you know. And if, you know, you see the fu- if you see the future of black America as some type of entering into uh, a raceless future. Chocolate-dipped Americans. Right, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, chocolate dipped, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> that's a good that's a good analogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the last point I had on, on this part was, you know, if you lack this anti-colonial lens, you have a lack of awareness concerning black national liberation and black autonomy from any white nation, any white society. You know, we were not de- we, we were not destined to become part of a raceless mass. Yeah. You know, the greatest wish of our ancestors was, you know, if not a return, then at least autonomy and the dignity of self-determination. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, the idea that some uh, African, like, you know, African culture, you know what I'm saying, can be something protected. Yeah. You know, but now it's something that's up for sale, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, so another point here is the fact that, you know, only... You know, if you lack this anti-colonial lens, all you concern yourself with then is some uh, 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 working-class revolution and mm-hmm. the working-class coalitions needed for that. Yeah. You know, without any concern for black national liberation. Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, truly, for black people to really have as much power as we could, you know, we cannot ignore, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. the fact that we deserve and we should seize, you know, national self-determination. You know, you know uh, it's not we're not destined to uh, manage only uh, you know, to only control, I guess, a part of our affairs mm-hmm. in coalition with other uh, other groups. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, to, however, it's going to work out. We need, you know, what I'm saying a national base. We need a national infrastructure yeah. for and by black people. Mm-hmm. And uh, whatever type of coalitions come from that base, you know, uh, should be discussed and they should be pursued. But they should not come before, you know, the building up of, you know, national self-determination. Yeah. And, uh, and as we'll see, you know, black socialists like Kianke Yamata Taylor, a very popular popular black woman who uh, writes on these issues, uh, will be talking about, you know, uh, her opposition 
uh, to the, the internal colonial thesis while still, you know, fo- but, and, and instead focusing on working class coalitions. Uh, so, yeah. So why don't you go and introduce the next section uh, where, you know, you said the anti-colonial thesis answers a certain question. We got here to serve colonialism. Yeah, I mean, develop from there. I mean, you know, then, you know, it, it, first of all, let's just say this that the thesis in itself, it provides, you know what I'm saying, clarity on our position within this globalist, capitalist, white supremacist system. You know what I'm saying? Um, it answers the questions of your, uh, your outsideness, you know, in America. Your, um, your, standing on the peripheral type situation. You know what I'm saying? As I, like, even with myself, like, when I started, you know what I'm saying, this right here, I had um, a colonial understanding, but as I was telling, you know what I'm saying, Sonny, you know what I'm saying, I didn't have an internal domestic, you know, or an internal colonialism thesis. Cause, so I was always trying to figure out how to add that up with what our struggles was. And when I ran across it, and it set and it laid it out. It made perfect sense to me, you know. what I'm saying why, you know, what I'm saying we have that. So it's like um, making sense of the the situations that we have. We cannot explain this shit without anti-colonial theory. Mm-hmm. We cannot explain it without the experience of it. And it's definitely an alternative to the other theories that we have out here about us. We're in a unique position. You know, that unique position can jump from various different things. But, yeah, we're in a unique position. We're not immigrants. We did not volunteer to come here. You know what I'm saying? We were brought here against our will. And I think that's something that, that that's the real thing. We got here through colonialism. It was a colonial power, Britain, who brought, who began bringing us over here to this land and to work in the 13 colonies, that corporation, you know. And true indeed, they got passed over to they wicked they wicked sons, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, um, in, the, in the guise of this United States government, and they continued it on. But then once they did that, they created a colony. We became a colony in the South. When we moved down there and to the South, the South was literally a colony of African people transported from their homeland, brought here to North America. You know, it explains how you got here. It explains why you got here. It explains why you exploited still. It explains all the things that has to do with your existence. But it also lets you know how you gonna get up out of it? Yes, sir. It definitely does. And uh, uh, his name is Robert Blauner. Wrote a, a article in 1969 in the American Sociological Review called "Social Pro." Uh, the issue is called "Social Problems Format Change Beginning with the Summer." Uh, but the article is called "Internal Colonialism and Ghetto Revolt." And the paper explores the thesis that white-black relations in America are essentially those of colonizer and colonized. The concept of colonization as a process is distinguished from colonialism as a social system in order to isolate the common features and the experience and situation of Afro-Americans and the colonial peoples. 
three contemporary social movements are analyzed in this light, urban riots, cultural nationalism, and ghetto control politics. And the, uh, so that, that is uh, a summation of what the article is about. Now, uh, in this article, Blauner uh, painstakingly draws out the differences between, uh, you know, the tra uh, traditional colonialism and that of uh, African Americans, which is a uh, relatively new national group, yeah. you know, birthed from the many different African ethnic groups brought over here during slavery. Mm. And over the course of our, our collective oppression and common experience uh, and common position, uh, you know, grouping together by no consequence of our own, but, you know, still we leaned on each other for survival, yes. cultural survival and political and uh, social survival and thriving. Mm -hmm. We leaned on each other, even though we came from different parts of the, the African yeah, we, continent. Well, we had no choice. We didn't have no choice. So uh, from that process, there was an ethnogenesis that took place. A new national group yeah. emerged from that, yeah. African Americans. And it was up for debate what to do with us, you know, as we're exiting the slave status. A new are, ethnic group at are, that. Are we going to be, uh, you know, second-class citizenships till we... You know, and these are the debates, you know, yes. in the 1800s, uh, in the 1900s. Yes. What, uh, I'm sorry, in the 18th century, in the 19th century, yeah. right? My apologies. And the question is up for debate. You know, should African Americans, if they're free from slavery, uh, <laughs> be citizens of the United States? Should they be granted citizenship? Or uh, should we uh, force them to immigrate elsewhere? Should we put them back on the African continent? Should we give them their own piece of land? Right? Those are questions up for debate. So, uh, you know, but, you know, Blounder in this article, he goes on to talk about how, you know, you know, as opposed to other immigrant groups, we've had a, a permanent state of uh, no autonomy, no political power, no ownership, no collective decision making. Right? Uh Let's see. Let me uh, find the passage that I was uh, referring to. So he says, the colonial status of the Negro community, and this is on page 398, uh, it goes beyond the issue of ownership and decision-making within black neighborhoods. The Afro-American population in most cities has very little influence on the power structure and institutions of the larger metropolis, despite the fact that in numerical terms, blacks tend to be the most sizable of the various interest groups. He goes on to say, colonization outside of a traditional colonial structure has its own special conditions. The group culture and social structure of the colonized in America is less developed. It is less autonomous. In addition, the colonized are, are a numerical minority, and furthermore, they are ghettoized more totally and are more dispersed than people under classic colonialism. Though these realities affect the magnitude and direction of response, it is my basic thesis that the most important expressions of protests in the black community during the recent years reflect the colonized status of Afro-America. Riots, programs of separation, politics of community control, the black revolutionary movements and cultural nationalism each represent a different strategy of attack on domestic colonialism in America. And he goes on to examine those movements. And then, very interestingly, he has a section on cultural nationalism, and this mm. is this is an important point for when we discuss Taylor. You know, there are many socialists that are so economically determined in their yeah. analysis that they uh, totally reject or ignore uh, 
what it means to be culturally oppressed, what it means to have a national culture, what it means yeah. that to culturally resist. Yeah. And how that appears. Uh, and oftentimes for black academics, it's because they don't have any real cultural connection to uh, the black uh, youth, to the black culture, to yeah. black people. You know, and and of course, I mean, think about what, what Blounder says and how this has developed since 69, really. Uh, you know, he's he's discussing, you know, the politics of separation, where your colonizer is separating and causing you to disperse. Think about what gentrification is doing yeah. and, and has, you know, done to our communities. Mm. You know, we were setting out at the end of slavery for, you know, 40 acres and a mule, and we were going to take them all together right next to each other. Yeah. You think black people would have decided at that point in time, mm-hmm. we're going to have 40 <laughs> acres. But we're spread gonna, out all over we're the goddamn dis- country. Exactly. We're going to disperse them and just be dispersed amongst white people. Mm-hmm. That was, No, no, no. That wasn't what we was thinking about. You know, we was think, thinking about whole states yeah. worth of land. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it was the land that we worked, right? And so and then we have, you know, and this is why Taylor, and maybe this is a good time to turn to Taylor. Uh, I'll check the notes real quick, make sure we're not missing anything else. Um, I mean, it's like, a, a, but the, you know, they have a hard time framing our enslavement and the situations that took place afterwards. You know, we were we were attacked. This and this is why cultural nationalism is important. It's an attack on your African values. Mm-hmm. It's an attack on your African morals. It's when they make everything that you value invaluable. You know, we're not gonna let you keep your religious gods. We're not. We're not gonna let you synchronize your religious gods. We're not gonna let you synchronize your. Uh, cultural holidays that y'all came out there's some amalgamation of all of we're not gonna let you do any of that it's cultural suppression mm-hmm. you know that's what a colonizer does to the colonized that's what the colony does to the colonial subject they suppress all values and principles so it's just like in the system of slavery when they were butt breaking men and things of that such nature and had us on breeding farms they had sons sleeping with their mothers so, you know what I'm saying? Sleeping with their sisters, sleeping with their aunties. This is the type of shit that they did. They took people and they broke them. They broke values and tried to break their values. A lot of times that didn't break the values of the family because they knew that shit was just savage from day one. But they tried to do things just that heinous. And so right now you're even seeing that. You're sort of seeing a little cultural shift right now in America with those values being under attack because you're on the domestic colonialism. And if you raise someone as a colonial subject for so many generations, they will go along with that colonial culture. Yeah, you're exactly right. So uh, one of the pivotal works that uh, kind of forwarded this thesis of uh, domestic or internal colonialism, uh, one was uh, Dr. Kenneth B. Clark's Dark Ghetto. Uh, here's a quote from that book. He says, the dark ghettos are social, political, educational, and above all, economic colonies. Their inhabitants are subject peoples, victims of the greed, cru- uh, cruelty, insensitivity, guilt, and fear of their masters. That's not just an oppressed minority. You know, we're talking about colonial subjects. And uh, also, I.F. Stone in the New York Review of Books says, in an age of decolonization, it may be fruitful to regard the problem of the American Negro as a unique case of colonialism. 
an instance of internal imperialism and underdeveloped people in our very midst. And we have to really underline the unique nature of our condition. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? In the belly of the beast, meaning um, we know America's role in the development of capitalism, global capitalism, and the spread of imperialism across the world. Yeah. The U.S. had a unique role in that. At, w- at one, I mean, in part being uh, its inception being a part of colonialism, British colonialism. Yeah. And then that developing, uh, you know, and and how, I mean, we can talk about how, uh, oh, I can't think of the brother's name, uh, Gerald Horn. He, te- he talks about this in his uh, his series of books on uh, white supremacy and its, uh, hmm. how, its origins in, in this country. I mean, I think... And, I mean, whiteness itself, you know what I'm saying, uh, developed in that context. Go ahead. Yeah, I think. I th- actually, I mean, yeah, you're right. Whiteness developed at this time period. I mean, to be honest with you, black people were the birth of capitalism. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're looking for a cheap labor force and coming out of mercantilism... And all of those various different forms or economic systems that they had going on at the time, we would have birthed to that. We're an out group, Aki. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And I mean, in this country, we can see it racially, just in the differences between us and one of our closest, uh, I guess, uh, groups, being uh, Latino Americans. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They're increasingly identifying as white. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So race is an important piece of the matrix of capitalism and colonialism. Yeah. Because black people do not have that possibility. Well, as you said before, before racism, white people didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, they didn't exist. They they had they created that mm-hmm. once they started gaining power through colonialism. Very true, Aki. And, uh, you know, before we move on to Taylor, because we want to give an example of, you know, the black socialists that reject this anti-colonial thesis, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the consequences of that. Uh, but, yeah, another book, an important book to check out is uh, Kwame Ture and Charles Hamilton's Black Power. You know, this is a book where they created the uh, or really coined the term institutional racism, right? Yeah. So not just they talk about individual racism. This book is critiquing institutional racism. It draw out the difference between individual and institutional racism. And but you know one of the parts often left out of uh, the discussion of institutional racism, the people that coined the concept called institutional racism colonialism. Yeah. They they said institutional racism is colonization. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, that's what black people are facing. You know what I'm saying? In this country, in a permanent state, not just something we cycle out of. You know, people. I mean, we we've often made that mistake, right? You know what I'm saying? Seeing other groups, and the example was set by other immigrant groups, right? Yeah. They that had less of a history here coming got, in here and got cycled in the whiteness. And uh, you know. We see how that exists today in the token type of representational get the bag, get the seat at the table type of politics we have. Yeah. Parts of our community still believe it's possible, Aki. Yeah. But, uh, so, I mean, the first chapter of uh, Black Power by Hamilton and and Kwame Ture, uh, formerly Stokely Carmichael, is uh, called White Power, the Colonial Situation. You know, and um, let's see. To put it another way, there. this is a quote from page... I don't have a page number. It's in the first chapter, though. To put it another way, there is no American dilemma because black people in this country form a colony, and it is not in the interest of the colonial power to liberate them. 
black people are legal citizens of the United States with, for the most part, the same legal rights as other citizens, yet they stand as colonial subjects in relation to the white society. Thus, institutional racism has another name, colonialism. <laughs> so let's compare that analysis, which draws together economic, political, social, and cultural type of analyses, right? to what Kiangi Yamata Taylor wrote in her book, From Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation. Uh, this was published in two, uh, 2016. Everything else I read was published decades previously. Yeah. So, I mean, so when people say that all things get better with time, I don't, I'm not sure about academia. We rely on the elders. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, so in the preceding paragraph, before the one I'm going to focus on, you know, she talks about how and this is, quote, many black revolutionaries took for granted that African-Americans were a colonized population within the United States. In the book Black Power, this is still from Kianke and Michael hmm. Taylor. In the book Black Power, Carmichael and Hamilton said as much, quote, black people in this country form a colony and it is not in the interest of the colonial power to liberate them. I just read that quote, right? And then she, she, re she reads uh, the rest of the quote that I read. She says, this idea was popular because it seemed an accurate way to describe the relationship between the impoverished, largely black urban cores in the midst of a much wider, larger metropolitan areas. Colonialism could also explain the financially predatory relationship of business to black communities, which was almost wholly organized around extraction with little to no investment. All of these descriptions made sense of black oppression and exploitation and seemed to fit with what was happening to black and brown people all over the globe, as Stokely Carmichael wrote, black power cannot be isolated from the African Revolution. It can only be comprehended within the context of the African Revolution. Thus, with black power uh, came an intensification of the African Revolution from Watts to Soweto in South Africa. Uh, it went into the, fa uh, went into the phase of uh, the armed struggle. So everything she kind of said was... Uh, a decent summation of some of the ideas and, and, and thinkers around this internal colonial thesis, right? Yeah. Uh, in particular, I mean, she, I don't think she mentions internal colonialism here, right? She only mentions colonialism. Yeah. She actually, she actually doesn't ever reference the internal colonial thesis, right? Yeah. Which, as we read from uh, Blauner, Robert Blauner, he drew out the differences. And, and it's been here for years. Right. And I mean, exactly right. So, uh, but she goes on to say this. This is the important part, Aki. She says, it was, it was, however, inaccurate to describe black Americans' relationship to the United States as colonial, despite these obvious similarities. Now, this is, so she says, the colonial thesis is not correct, right? Yeah. So she has to, you know, given that the heft of, you know, these other thinkers, who she quoted, she got to come with some heat, right? Yeah. This is pretty, uh, pretty significant shift away from the Black Power tradition. Remember, Stokely Carmichael, who wrote the book Black Power, who coined institutional racism, defined it as colonialism. Who helped coin black the term Black Power. He coined the term Black Power during his work with SNCC, you know, mm -hmm. organizing in the South, right? Uh, you know, so what is she going? I mean, she, she's opposing this. She got to come with some weight, right? So she says, the profits reaped from the exploitation of black urban dwellers were not insignificant, but neither were they important revenue streams back to the American metropolis. The outflow of capital from the inner city worked almost exclusively to the benefit of the layer of business owners directly involved in economically exploitative relationships with the urban ghettos, such as bankers and real estate agents. 
this was not a motor of American capitalism compared to the cotton, rubber, sugar, and mineral extraction and trade that have fueled colonial empires for hundreds of years. So she says because it was not, it didn't mimic the uh, colonial empire, the, what, what colonialism did uh, as empires for hundreds of years. Because it didn't mimic that, we can't describe it as that. So she ignores the internal colonial thesis, right? Which is very clear in, in providing the distinctions between itself and traditional colonialism. She still opposes it, right, Aki? Uh, and she goes on to just say that, you know, it had rhetorical importance. That's why people said it. It's because it drew people into this anti-colonial, like, global resistance, right? She <clears throat> says that's the value of it, that it's not accurate. I mean, I think it's sort of funny, right? Because when you really come down to it, you came here, they, they, they snatched slaves up and brought them to the United States for cheap labor. Labor and skill. Whether it was skilled labor, unskilled labor, they brought you here as slaves to do that. You got free. But they still, in this context of the United States today, now you was a straight-up colonial subject then, during the time of slavery. They do. They go through their whole little situation. We come to now, we're still cheap labor. Mm-hmm. They want to keep us in the state of being cheap labor. This is why they put hard on things like trade programs and stuff like that that they provide for other so-called citizens of the United States, but you ain't one, so they're not gonna provide that for you. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? You're still considered cheap labor. The economic disparities, when we go work in these factories, when we go work these jobs for these major corporations, who run them? Right, it's not us. That's not us. You're right, Aki. You're right. Uh, so I wanna point out that, you know, where she's giving her, the- her, her theory, right? That's supposed to undergird her analysis of the Black Lives Matter movement and how it's part of this uh, black this tradition of black liberation, right? <clears throat> they suck. She <laughs> uh, right. She wrote this in 2016. Remember that before uh, BLM was exposed as the charlatans that they are, the thieves, you know, and the the the, the lack of leadership that they really gave to the movement. Right? It was really misleadership. We can all admit that now. I hope. She was riding with him, though. Right, she was riding with him in 2016. But uh, it's interesting that her theory comes in page 196, the last chapter of her book. Hmm. Traditionally, people put the theory at the beginning of the book. So they can explain it through the whole book. Right, but uh, she didn't do that here. That should be very interesting. If you, she, she, you're going to lead with the identity and sensationalism, right? <laughs> and that's the point with this book. Trying to it, it's, shit? It's so seduced by identity politics that it ignores any in the analysis of the relationship between this Black Lives Matter Global Foundation, right, with the three queer black women as, I mean, the, the three black women as leaders yeah. and queer black uh, female leadership in the in the organization. Yeah. It, it focuses so heavily on that that it doesn't discuss how they displaced the indigenous black grassroots leadership in Ferguson. Yeah. How Ferguson is still upset with this national BLM group. How they were upset in the moment. Mm. Right, how they uh, were chasing cameras. Yeah. Right. It doesn't talk. It, it, this isn't an analysis. You know, imagine if, if in 2016 we had a black scholar with the funding and ability to research and write this book, really take a hard look at their finances. Yeah. Right. 
you we because you could have looked back then and seen that they was on some fool shit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, with their finances back then, ninety million. You know what I'm saying? And we see it now. They're buying mansions and giving their baby daddy a million dollars. They gave their baby daddy more money than they gave to the Trayvon Martin Foundation. They had a trade. They had a memorial for my man in in the backyard of a mansion with a five hundred dollar cracker and cheese set in front of him, right, sipping on wine, right. Y'all ain't even go to the street. So I key. I mean, you're exactly right, I key. And you know, to get us closer to the end, why don't you, if you got to pull it up. Read what you pulled and kind of des- describe what you pulled from the RNA document that, where they talk about the internal colonial thesis, and we can end on that. I mean, um, me and Sonny both, um, if you don't know, we knew African nationalists, um, new African revolutionary nationalists. And um, that being said, we come with an ideology and come with a thesis and an understanding already of the internal colonialism. Um, as new Africans, we see New Africa, and or New Africa, and as I should say, New Africa is the so-called African American, Black American community all in the United States. We see New African as a colony. So I'm gonna read something from some of the founders, um, one of the brothers, uh, Muhammad Ahmed, who um, student of Malcolm X, Queen Mother Moore, um, one of the founders of the RNA. And the brother is still living. Republic of New Africa. Yes. Um, All African People's Party. Didn't he did a lot of different things. But I'm gonna go ahead and read the definition for you, so you can get an understanding where we're coming from. Um, it states: During slavery, post during slavery, the post Reconstruction period, and in the present, as a result of racist oppression, black people in North and Black people in the South developed attributes of an oppressed nation. Black people are discriminated against because of their common African origin. In the Black Bet South, tan area encompassing 150 counties from Mississippi, Georgia, Louisiana, South Carolina, and Alabama, black people have traditionally had a common economic relationship to the land, are united by a common historical experience and have a special culture and psychological makeup based on these historical experiences. And these things right here um, definitely should be remembered. But we are a oppressed nation within a nation. Now, that nation within a nation concept states that black American is not a citizen of the U.S. denied his rights, but rather he is a colonial subject and slave. This position says that black people in the U.S. are a captive nation, suppressed, and that their fight is not for integration into the white community, but one of national liberation. The concept states that in 1965, the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution recognized the freedom of the new African people and left us as an unattached political entity rightfully settled on land that was claimed by the U.S., the passage of the 14th Amendment was, in fact, a declaration of war by whites and their government against black people by taking assumable or taking assumable jurisdiction over black people and creating a 14th Amendment citizenship, which is the second-class citizenship. Mm-hmm. So what that lets us know is that, and it's actually a little bit more to that because we haven't even gotten into the, the great betrayal of the United States, you know. But um, they did 
you know what I'm saying, that they they were forced to free slaves. They were forced to free. And people got to understand, what slavery for us was was a caste system. We were also a caste system. So when you hear these statements made, and when you hear us talking about this internal colonial, and they're referring to us as a colony and referring to us as a captured people, remember that that colonial theory explains everything that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. I take it that you look up some of the names that we spoke over tonight. You look at um, we'll go look back at some of the books that we um, quoted from tonight, and research this. And I think y'all will probably come to the same conclusion too. I agree, Aki. And if you accept the notion that black people make up an oppressed nation, a stagnated nation, a potential nation within a nation, that's what we are. That's what we've been. You know, but we have to seize it. And I like how they said the 14th Amendment was a declaration of war against our national liberation. You know, the subject us to second-class citizenship for generation after generation after generation after generation, Aki. And if you accept that notion that we're a nation within a nation, where there's a tradition, you know, your tradition, you know, that they don't speak about in schools, it's called the New African tradition. You know what I'm saying? Where people have sought, like the Republic of New Africa, have sought to name this nation within a nation. Right? We don't we don't have to wait for white people to name it for us. We can't do that. You do not need white people to organize and come together as a nation of people. Right. So we, we're not going to wait for them. That's why we refer to ourselves as New Africans, right? Yes. That's a, a, a name of a national group. Is that the perfect name? No. Is that the permanent name? No. But it's the name right now because it explains exactly what the hell we are. We are African people, but we are New African people. We came in slavery as an African people. We came out of slavery as an African people. We just was a new African people. Right, and... It also attaches us to our material reality. People like Kiyanga and Martha Taylor, they, they want to live in theory, academic, ivory tower land, mm-hmm. where the only thing that matters is working class coalitions and, you know, socialist opposition to capitalism. But what our community is faced with most severely, most saliently, is our, na- our, our lack of autonomy. Yeah. Our, the suppression of our national culture. And uh, really, our internal colonization within this country as an oppressed nation—that's that—that's what we have to uh, really, you know, organize against. You know what I'm saying? And we have to unite against that, you know. And so, we, black socialists like Taylor—they're not concerned with the 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 black unity, the black national unity that needs to take place. Mm-hmm. So it gets it gets ignored. It gets ignored. So uh, with that, y'all, we're gonna leave it call it a day you know what i'm saying i hope that this helped y'all i think i think next episode maybe we take up more about uh uh the great betrayal you know yeah, reconstruction yeah, yeah so we can definitely do that we'll leave it there y'all peace peace